Welcome to this episode of the Ask Us Anything podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this episode. And today we have a great question that comes from Evan. And Evan wants to know, what are a few things that you would say to someone who struggles with assurance? (laughs) Well, Evan, I could spend 30 minutes or more sitting here talking to you about this question and and even even longer Uh, we could really dive into this but Evan I just want to say that this is a really good question and the first thing I would say to somebody that is asking this question is go read the and study the book of first John in Hebrews both books deal with these very topics at length in first John we see the writer dealing with issues related to personal holiness repentance and growth in the grace of God. In reading 1 John and studying it, you're going to learn about the evidences for salvation so that you can be assured that you are a Christian. And if you're not, then you know that you're not. And that God needs to save you and, and make you a new creation. He, he needs to remove your heart of stone and, and replace it with a new heart, with new desires and new affections for himself. Also, we just finished a devotional study through 1 John. Um, you can find that on our website. I encourage you to check that out. And uh, for those of you who haven't, we also have a new series that just started this week that we're going to be going through starting this week uh, all the way to October, going through the books of 1 Peter and 2 Peter. I encourage you to check that out. Another great book is Hebrews. Now, Now, Hebrews can be challenging, but the main focus of Hebrews is Jesus is better than everything. There is no other book that teaches so clearly the sufficiency of Jesus, that that Jesus, um, who Jesus is and and what he's like. And and, uh, the Hebrews also teaches us about the intercessory ministry of, of the Lord Jesus and his high priestly ministry and how he's the mediator of a new covenant and a better covenant and all of that, it's, uh, it's worth studying um, in, in depth. Um, but many people have a hard time with Hebrews because there's warning passages. So what do those warning passages mean? Well, some people take them to mean, there's two views. One that says that these warnings make salvation conditional. So in this view, our salvation, we're not secure in Christ and all of those things. I, I reject that view because it doesn't make sense in light of the context. We, when we go back to the beginning of Hebrews, what we see is that the writer is writing to people who are suffering and facing persecution and, and trials, much like 1 Peter. And so it wouldn't make any sense at all to, for this writer to write to a people facing suffering and persecution and suggest then through these warnings that salvation is conditional. Um, so we, I don't find that argument uh, that salvation is conditional to be uh, persuasive at all. I think that those warning passages are helping us to see instead to, to cause us to, to self-examine ourselves and do what Lamentations 3.40 says, and which says, let us examine our ways and return to the Lord. And there's a lot more that could be said, um, has been said. Uh, there's several articles on Servants of Grace that you can look up um, where we've gone in depth on these topics and 
I'll provide that in the in the show notes here um, if you'd like to look at it. Um, but the main passages that we look at, we can look at, and this regard is Hebrews six one through eight. We're not going to go through this verse by verse. We, we don't have the time, really, to really engage in a, in a heartfelt exegesis of this passage. But we can say a few things. And that's first that this passage, Hebrews 6, 1 through 8, it meets the people of God at their greatest need with the gospel by moving his people not away from, but deeper into the gospel for greater assurance and confidence in their salvation. Perseverance of the saints does not mean that everyone who claims to have received Christ as a Savior participates in Christian work and manifests various gifts is eternally secure. The church includes hypocrites who demonstrate the external signs of persevering saints but lack the marks of a true Christian. Those marks, according to the Belgic Confession, are this. First, receiving Christ by faith as the only Savior. Second, avoiding sin. Third, following after righteousness. Fourth, loving the true God and one's neighbor. Fifth, not turning aside to the right or the left. Sixth, crucifying the flesh with the works thereof. Seven, fighting against infirmities. And eighth, continually taking refuge in the passion and the obedience of Christ. The church also includes people like Demas, who seem to be godly, but whose departure from the truth and the church reveal they were never in true saving union with Christ. You see, Hebrews 6, 4-6 warns Christians not to fall away, but it does not affirm the apostasy of saints. It rather urges Christians to persevere in faithfulness to God and His revelation of the new covenant in Jesus Christ. The Lord God uses solemn warnings to keep people from backsliding and from a whole host of other dangers. The Reformed doctrine of perseverance is that a regenerate soul will persevere through the trials of life and continue to believe and to repent. He or she will slip and fall. They will develop bad habits. They'll wrestle with doubt. But through it all, they will keep on as they began in Christ. All Christians slip and fall into sin. But no true believer stays down. They don't stay in a perpetual state of habitual sin. Just as God gave Christians faith and repentance unto initial conversion, and so He supplies them with faith and repentance all along the way of heaven. Believers who have come to Christ by grace remain wedded to Christ, knowing that they are in Him by the grace of God. Perseverance and assurance are two sides of the same coin. The Christian cannot persevere in grace without growing in assurance, and they cannot grow in assurance of faith without perseverance. The doctrine of perseverance is not just a pretty ribbon that completes the package of Calvinistic soteriology. Perseverance involves intense Christian watchfulness and discipleship. It requires pilgrim warfare in a world that aims to distract the mind and rip the heart to pieces. It embraces major issues of life and death, including the believer's eternal security and glory. Francis Roberts writes, Perseverance is a rope that ties the soul to the doorpost of heaven. John Blanchard says that glory for the Christian is more certain than the grave. God has never torn up a Christian's birth certificate. 
It is possible to fall in grace, but not to fall from grace. The Christian can be certain of arriving in heaven as he is that Christ has already ascended there. Because the Christian's perseverance depends on the one who does the work of salvation, namely the triune God, every Christian is a jewel to Christ that can never be lost. Malachi 3.17 says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Thomas Brooks adds, Earthly jewels sometimes get separated from their own. Christ jewels never. Earthly jewels are sometimes lost. Christ jewels never. Earthly jewels are sometimes stolen. Christ jewels never. And in the final analysis, the hope of the, the true Christian resides not in our feeble hold of God, but in his powerful grasp of us, Bruce Demhurst writes. The stability and constancy of our spiritual lives rests not in the human powers, but in God's eternal purpose and his infinite resources. God's purposes, God's promises, God's powers, God's provision, God's protection. What comfort this gives to the Christian. You see, perseverance is ultimately the result of the work of the Spirit in the Christian's heart. The doctrine of the Spirit, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, coming down to believers from the Reformation, must be preserved at all costs. Christians must neither abandon it nor compromise it with those who wish to do so. Perseverance opens the way, the door for assurance. Because rooted in God's grace, objective perseverance makes possible subjective assurance, which is rooted in a believer's conscience. If a Christian does not believe in the perseverance of the saints, they cannot be sure they are going to heaven. We may know that we're in a state of grace, but we have no way of knowing if we'll continue in that state. Assurance is wedded to the doctrine of perseverance. Perseverance increases assurance. Those who persist in works that spring from faith will attain high levels of assurance, which is why Christians must persevere to the end in faith, in holiness, in obedience to God. To deny the necessity of perseverance is to deny the clear teaching, the biblical teaching, on the subject. Such a denial will weaken the resolve of the Christian to run the Christian race, which will in turn opening them to the chastising hand of the Father. Perseverance encourages Christians to live in hope. And as Christians persevere, they become increasingly confident in the victory that Christ has accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection, and their future with him in glory. So that's some of what I would say, but there's more. There's much more that could be said. So here are five additional points. The first thing I would say, Evan, to somebody that also is struggling with uh, assurance is, is to say also what I just said. But also to have them understand the following. That we read the Bible not out of duty, but out of delight. Daily Bible reading is not something that we just check off or some of these spiritual disciplines or anything else in Christian. It is not to be done to check off. God is not pleased with our false worship. He wants worship that is true, that is right, and it starts with our hearts. That means that we have to repent if we are worshiping the Lord in a manner that is not worthy of Him. How do we know that? We know that because of the Bible. 
Jesus tells us that we are to worship Him in spirit and in truth. So the question that we have to ask ourselves, are we living in accordance with what His Word says? Are we actually being obedient? Or are we giving this lip service? You know, God is not mocked by our false worship. He, he desires true, heartfelt obedience, and He provides the means for that obedience through the work of the Spirit, because He gives us union with Himself, and we're supposed to commune with Christ, and we are supposed to abide in the vine, and grow in Christ, and commune with Him. And so we read the Bible and do all that we do, not out of duty, but out of delight, because God Himself, through Christ, has saved us. He has given us a new identity, and a meaning, and a value, and a purpose in Christ. He's given us a, a message to share. He's given us this, this passion, uh, these new affections uh, to, to grow in and, and to serve Jesus. So we, so we don't read the Bible out of delight. We read, or I mean, excuse me, we don't read the Bible out of duty, but we read it out of delight. And we pray, not out of duty, but out of delight. We attend church weekly, not out of duty, to say, look, God, I, I, I've done my spiritual duty for the week. I'm good with you. This is, this is not why we go to church. We, we also don't fellowship with people for that reason. We fellowship with people because God calls us to fellowship with God's people. We're commanded to be in the assembly, to be in a local church. In fact, J.I. Packer, that great theologian, probably one of the greatest theologians the church has ever produced, he said that the normal Christian life is a life in the local church. And if we look at the epistles, which we don't even have enough time to in this episode, but if we were to look at all these, these, these warnings uh, over 50 times in the New Testament, we're told to one another each other, it would become apparently obvious that these commands are not possible to obey at a, at a Starbucks or an isolation apart from the local church. They are instead meant to be lived in the local church, and they are to regulate our behavior in the local church. Now, with that said, there are some people who listen to this, and I want to be sensitive to this also, who are in, they're, they're in assisted living facilities. They, they, are, they are not able to get out. They may not have a ride, or they may not have good enough health to go to local churches. There are always exceptions to this case. So we're not saying to those people, well, you're less of a Christian because you don't go to church. I get it. I understand. You know, my dad lives in one of those, although my dad's health is good enough to be able to go to a local church. But I understand if, if somebody's health is very poor and, and those kind of things, there's good reasons that they can't go to a local church. There are good reasons. But there's also good reasons for the local church to be going to those assisted living facilities to reach those people, to be able to minister Christ to them. And there could be so much said there as well. But I do want to say that out of sensitivity to our listeners who are in that situation. So we fellowship with God's people not out of duty but out of delight. I mean, we don't grow in Christ out of duty either, do we? That's, that's the point I'm making. We don't grow in Christ out of duty. We grow in Christ out of delight. So, so we read the Bible. We, we, we're fellowshiping God's people. We're, we're doing all these things. But we're not doing them just to, to get a pat on the back and say, Oh, you know, um, you're doing so well spiritually. 
You know what? We can walk through the motions. We can say that all is well with my soul. We can be involved deeply in the ministry of the church, even as an elder. And our spiritual life is suffering. We're not spending any time in the Word. We're not praying at all. You know, we're, we're, we're engaging in surface level relationships with our spouse and so on and so forth. You know, this is not what God honors God. That's what I'm saying. Surface level walk with God does not honor God. You know, you know, I can say this myself. I'm going to be honest. There have been times in my ministry where I've been guilty of this. And where God has had to pull me aside and say, Look, you are busy. <laughs> but guess what? You have no greater need than, than for the Lord Jesus. You have no greater need than to be in the Word. You have no greater need than to pray. You have no greater need than to take a day off and to actually relax. Or to take time each day to relax. You know, we have to not only acknowledge our humanity, we have to also acknowledge the greatness of God. And that is at the heart of this question. To somebody that struggles with assurance, I would say, you need to understand who we're talking about. God is infinite. He is stupendous. He is majestic. He is glorious. And we are finite and frail. And we are of the dust. We are made from dust. And we are sustained by, we were created and we are sustained by God. And He gives us our life and breath. The very fact that you're able to listen to this and understand it, that's an act of God. And, and not only that, the Holy Spirit helps us to understand. So in every respect, to somebody that un doesn't understand assurance, I would just want to take them to God's Word. I would want to walk them through 1 John. I would want to ask them questions. I want to know what's going on in your life. I want, to, I want to hear about what Jesus is doing in your life. I want to hear how He's working. And, and I, I just, I want to, I want to hear, I want to ask lots of questions, to be honest. When I'm, when, I'm, when I'm talking with somebody about assurance, I want to ask lots of questions. I don't want to make any assumptions. I want to ask lots of questions. I want to hear what they have to say. I want to hear about how they got saved. What, what, I want to hear about their spiritual uh, walk with God. I want to hear how they're engaging in the spiritual disciplines. I want to hear about the things that they're learning. I want, to, I want to hear how the relationships are. I want to get to know them. I want to get into their life. I want to, I want to get into their thought life, into their how they fight against sin or don't, and, and these kind of things. Because what we can do, especially with ministry leaders, is we can so easily say, well, great, you're reading your Bible, you're praying, you're going to church, you're doing this and that and this and that. And we can get into the habit of, of, of saying, you know, you're a Christian, sure. But we have to go to the Bible. We need to walk people through Scripture, through what Scripture says. And I, I can think of no better book to do that than with somebody, than with 1 John. Somebody says they're a Christian, they're struggling with the church, let's go to 1 John. Let's go look at it. Let's go look at it. Let's, let's talk about what John talks about in this gospel together. And then let's talk about how, do these things, how are these things manifested in your life? And I love what J.C. Ryle says. If there's even the tiniest 
of tiniest of slivers of evidence of God's work in our lives, that gives us assurance. That's in his classic book on holiness. The tiniest, the tiniest of sliver. So, so when we talk about somebody looking at somebody's life, we're also saying that we need to look at ours. Because, let's face it, if we're not willing to put that mirror up, if Dave's not willing to put that mirror up in front of his self and see the log in his own eye, there's no way to see the log in somebody else's. No way. If I'm not growing in Christ, I'm never going to be able to take that person by the hand and say, look, let's look at this passage, but understand, you know, I'm still growing in this too. You know, and, and this is why probably the greatest mark of assurance and, and one of the least talked about marks is humility. Humility. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So I'm going to end there. there there's a lot more that could be said, I know, but uh, I'm going to end there for now. Um, if you guys have another question about assurance or perseverance or something that doesn't make sense, feel free to email me. Dave at serviceofgrace.org. We'd love to tackle another question on this. I want to thank you guys for listening or watching this episode of the Ask Us Anything podcast. I hope that it's been helpful and pray to that end. If you enjoy this episode, consider leaving a rating on iTunes or subscribing uh, to via your favorite podcast catcher. You can go on the show notes and find that there. And uh, if you enjoy this resource, uh, consider checking out all the other re great resources that we have on servantsofgrace.org. As I just mentioned, we have a series on 1 Peter and 2 Peter that are starting here this week. We'll have started this week. We also have an online magazine with over a dozen um, issues on related topics that touch on the Christian life and ministry. We have a sermon podcast, uh, Servants of Grace Sermons is what it's called. And uh, we're going through the Gospel of John. And let's see, we have the Equipping You in Grace, where I have the best Reformed and Evangelical authors and writers and thinkers come on and talk to them about a variety of subjects. So lots of resources. Pray that they will be used of God to help you grow in the grace of God. So until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.